This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Welcome to another episode of Film Study here with Ken McCusick. Uh, we have an interesting episode. To, we'll take a retrospective look 
at one of the great early games in Ravens history, the 37 to 31 overtime win over the Rams in 1996. And joining us as a special guest, former Ravens linebacker Ed Sutter, who had a big moment in that game. Ed, how are you doing? I'm well, Ken. How are you doing? Can't complain, not one little bit, and that's uh, pretty good for the world we live in right now. We always got to ask each other all those questions. That's right. Yeah. Strange times, that's for sure, but uh, we'll overcome it at some point here. Yeah, looking forward to that. Um, Ed, uh, I want to talk a little bit about your background first, because you were an all-Big Ten linebacker. You're still among Northwestern's all-time leaders in tackles. And I was doing a little research for the show, of course, and I looked at at, uh, collegefootballreference.com, and I noticed... A very unusual thing. You were the punter there for all four years. Yeah, I came in and I was offered, uh, I played a lot of soccer when I was younger. Uh, from first grade on, it was my first, the first organized sport I played. So um, I attribute soccer to, you know, some of my quickness and athleticism as I grew up. But uh, it was a natural when I got to high school. I, I started kicking and punting and uh, uh so, yeah, it was just a natural, natural thing I uh, signed up to do. However, when I played football, I loved to tackle and hit and do all that. So I made it clear to the coaches that this is not what I want to do full time. If I if I can do it, I will. But I don't want it to interfere with anything else. Well, it never did. Uh, even so, when I was uh, senior year in high school, they named me to some all I think the USA Today, maybe second team ball all-American team as a punter. So I got some calls from Stanford and some other bigger schools to, uh, to punt. And I said, well, I go, that's great. I go, but I'm not a punter. I'm, I'm a linebacker and that's what I want to play. So uh, a couple of the big schools came down, talked to me and Northwestern came uh, and uh, I was not highly recruited, but Northwestern came down and said, here, we're going to recruit you Uh, as a linebacker. uh, If it doesn't work out, you're going to, you're going to punt, but we feel we can offer you, you know, a position, a scholarship. And, you know, we, we think we got, uh, you know, one of two positions covered while well, I went in I punted and they hadn't offered another kid a scholarship at the time as well to punt. And, uh, and it just so happened, I punted and punted pretty well. And so I never really, so I punted for my freshman year on, never lost the spot. And I uh, played linebacker from freshman year on too. So I ended up being a, kind of a two-way starter. I punted all four years and I played middle linebacker all four years. So, uh, it was great. It was kind of funny. I would, I would, I, I had gloves on whatever else I'd pull them off, punt the ball, go down and cover. And, and then I would play linebacker for three down, three or four okay. downs. And <laughs> gloves well, to punt. Uh, gloves to punt. I, I pulled them off, pulled okay. them off. And I had a fellow linebacker. I, I would always in high school and college. I would just, I'd give them to a fellow linebacker and say, Hey, can you, so after every punt, they would run the gloves out, hand me the gloves. I'd throw them on, and <laughs> away we go. So all right. It was funny, knee braces and all, but uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed both. It worked out. It worked out fine. So natural all right. thing for me. Let's let's move forward here a little bit. You went undrafted in 1992, and that was despite being all Big Ten as a linebacker. But you went to camp with the Vikings. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. Yep. All right. And you stick on their practice squad or are you on the Browns practice squad that year or nowhere? I did not. No. Uh, Al Groh, who was the linebacker coach of the Browns, came in and tested me uh, before the draft in 92. I had a great workout for him, ran my fastest 40, everything. So I thought they might pick me through 12 rounds. They did not. <laughs> so 
they said I could come in as a free agent. Um, Minnesota offered me a little bit more. You know, they actually offered me something, a couple thousand bucks or something. So I went up there. Well, I didn't realize. They, I didn't see the field at all. Like literally there were some practices where I didn't get a rep. So I, it was just a matter there when I was up there waiting for the first cut. And I was thinking, well, I'll go play, maybe try to play for the world league, whatever. Well, I got released, went home and worked out every day. And for one week straight, uh, nothing. And then Cleveland called me, brought me in for a workout and it was a great workout. They sent me home, uh, a week later they called and, uh, it's kind of a funny story. My mom was, uh, she's pretty intense or was pretty intense. She called him. Uh, Bill Belichick had called the house uh, and said, Hey, we want Eddie and, you know, for our uh, practice squad. And this, the week before they had sent me home, I had a great workout, real happy. Well, they sent me home. So the next week they called back and said, Hey, we, we want to sign him. And she goes, well, you know what? I'm in the middle of a painting job, so I'm not going to go get him unless you're serious about this. <laughs> so when <laughs> I got tell, to Cleveland, tell off Bill Belichick. <laughs> yeah. So when I got to Cleveland, Bill was uh, Bill. And then Scott Pioli, who was the uh, scout at the time, he goes, uh, or the, I think he was GM at the time. He goes, Hey, is your mom all right with this? So we, we, I think we upset her pretty well. I go, yeah, she's pretty defensive. So she, <laughs> So yeah, no, she's pretty happy you guys are signing me. So okay. anyway, yeah. So they still ninety two. Yeah. Still ninety two, yeah. So they brought me in, signed me, and I was in practice squad practice squad with them uh through that season. Al Gro went to um he went up to New England and they released me and were gonna put me on practice squad, but Belichick came back and grabbed me back and put me on the active roster. And that's where I played. So he was a I was a big fan of his, he was a big fan of me and the reason he was a fan of me is because I worked hard for him. That's, I worked really hard for him, and you know I was his style of player, and he was real loyal. No matter what you say, Bill Belichick, loyalty is his number one thing. He, if he likes you, he will do anything for you, and he always, everywhere he went, he called me to, to, uh, to you know, to come, come play for him until the end. Until like when I was in Atlanta, I was pretty much done with my career real close to it and they had already lined I think he was in New England and he said they had lined up you know a couple linebackers who they had had for a few years so he didn't really have a spot but he was uh he was I, I'm a big fan of uh, Bill Belichick and glad to see that he's the greatest coach in history <laughs> all right well yeah, his dogs even making great draft picks now if you look at yeah. the, the thing he's, you played 79 of 80 games in a five-year career and for a guy who doesn't really have a position and you started only 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 four nfl starts came in baltimore in 96 yeah see so for a guy who didn't really have a starting spot that tells me you were a very valuable and and relied upon core special teams player that you were active anthony levine would be the the analog for baltimore fans currently that's dressed for 112 straight games and and yeah. is the special teams captain but uh, you know, speaks highly, obviously, of of uh, where you were. Tell us a little bit about moving from Cleveland. And obviously, you were there for the last year in Cleveland. You were there for the last playoff game in Cleveland. Then the the, the disappointing 1995 season, and then right. the move. Kind of take us through that. Yeah, it was really sad. Uh, the situation is, uh, we had let's see, it was we were four and four. We had just beaten. I believe it was the Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals, to go four and four. We were kind of struggling. Uh, take you back to what was it, '94? Uh, the Browns had the best defense in the league. Nick Saban was defensive coordinator, and we were yeah, top top in the league. 
the next year we started off four and four. Nick Saban had gone to Michigan State at that point. So I uh, we were we had just yeah just beaten Cardinals. Bart Modell Monday comes in with an announcement says got an announcement we're going to move to Baltimore. Bill Belichick's going to be the head coach in Baltimore, and all I need you to do is to win the rest of our games. Yeah, win the rest of the games. <laughs> we promptly went out, went one and seven, and Bill Belichick was fired after the year. So that, that was pretty much it. But Cleveland had a really loyal uh, fan base. Well, the advertisers all, all pulled their uh, advertising. So by the end of the year, there were no, you know, no advertisements hung throughout the stadium. The, the town got pretty negative. The last game of the year uh, was against the Bengals, um, which we won. So I think it was our last win, which was the last home game. Actually, that wasn't the last game, our last season, regular season game. It was at Jacksonville. I think we lost. But um, So anyway, after that, they started ripping the – after the Browns-Bengals uh, game, we won. They ripped all the bleachers out, blew off some M80s. And it's just a really crazy time to be in Cleveland and a really sad time for all the fans that had had uh, given up so much, you know, their whole lives. I still have really good friends in Cleveland. My wife's from Cleveland. We go back a couple times, three, four times a year to Cleveland. Uh, season ticket holders in the dog pound, uh, they're, they're, it's sad. Their loyalty, I mean, it, 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 what was taken from them, you know, obviously the Baltimore's, uh, um, uh, advantage, I mean, advantage, I guess, but, uh, it was, you know, they knew, obviously you guys know how it feels, uh, Baltimore, uh, left for Indy, but yeah, it, it's pretty sad to just kind of see it's still to this point. They're, they're pretty bitter about how it happened. And one of my best friends said, uh, he doesn't have season tickets anymore. And he said, you know what? He goes, if one guy can pull a team, he goes, what, a, he goes, what am I season ticket holder? He goes, I'm a fool. So it was kind of just some sad stories about that when you when you give your heart and soul to a team and um, as players we do but we don't have the loyalty that uh, that fans do because we can be cut and resign you know we can be disposed of at any time but fans really do so I, I just it was sad to see this, the town go through that yeah obviously we had the same thing happen it, it was a yeah. band-aid that got ripped off in the middle of a March night instead of a slow band-aid pull throughout a regular yeah. season, which is the worst possible time. But I, I will say that, that that Baltimore was not only did they they get the raw deal out of Ursay, it was worth missing twelve years of football in Baltimore to get rid of the Ursay family. They were yeah. they were awful. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah. just awful. And then they, they <laughs> the Ravens Ravens came in the middle of the night, and and what had happened is we a lot of us had invested in buying club seats without a team so that they yeah. could finance the expansion effort. And then the, oh, Baltimore yeah. got used in that process. Al Davis was flirting with Baltimore over the, yeah. the possibility of a, uh, a publicly financed stadium. And and they intentionally did not award a team to Baltimore because they knew they wanted to use that as leverage in every other town in America that didn't didn't have it yet. And yeah. so th- that, that was that was really how it ended up there. And I. It, we're very lucky that we ended up with Modell and then Modell selling the team to local ownership here, as yeah, opposed absolutely. to uh, as opposed to getting Al Davis. Yeah, <laughs> never yeah, know. I would have, I, would, I would say you ended up uh, with the better, on the better end of that deal for sure. 
All right, so let's move forward. We're going to talk a little bit about the Rams and Ravens on 10-27-96. And I want to set this up because there are so many historical timelines that crisscross this game. And, and a lot of Ravens history can be, can be summarized and talked about it with this framework going on. But, of course, we know about the 1996 draft. If you're a Ravens fan, you haven't been in a closet all these years. They drafted Jonathan Ogden, number four, and Ray Lewis, number 26, in that first round. So a couple Hall of Famers. That worked out fair enough. But often forgotten is the fact that the Ravens considered drafting running back Lawrence Phillips at number four. Now, Lawrence Phillips had a great career in Nebraska as a running back. Um, he had a very troubled time at Nebraska on, in, with regard to off-field things, including some very violent things that just would not be tolerated um, in society today and certainly in, in NFL in the NFL today with the current uh, um, types of punishment that go on. But the Ravens, despite that, considered drafting him. Lawrence Phillips had a five-hour dinner with Art Mobdell before the draft. Now, you know, when I heard that, I'm thinking that you don't have a five-hour interview if you're completely unsold on the guy. Like right. it, it, it would, you'd, you'd often very quickly you'd find out. I mean, you've interviewed people. You probably interviewed yeah. for jobs yourself because where yeah. you know it didn't go well. Right. But yeah. But uh, but in any case, fortunately, they they overrode him and and drafted Ogden. Ozzy did. And, uh, of course, Phillips went on to prison and died there, and Ogden is in the Hall of Fame now. But I wanted you to tell us, Ed, you, you were there for Ogden's first year, very emotional player. What do you recall about him as a player? Uh, you know, I didn't get to know Jonathan real well. Uh, offense, defense, we didn't have a lot of interaction. Uh, some of my best friends were offensive linemen. But as a rookie, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to, to, uh, to know him very well. He was kind of a fun-loving guy. He was, uh, uh, you know, never had an issue with anybody. He just seemed like he was, yeah, pretty raw. Just really just didn't look like he had many enemies. Just a just a good guy, I would say, uh, is, is how I would uh, characterize him. Uh, he got along well with everyone and uh, didn't you know, didn't, didn't think he was too good for anybody. And no, he was just, just a solid individual. Now, he, he would have been playing two positions and probably getting extra reps in practice at that point. Obviously he was playing left guard during the regular season, moved to left tackle the next year. Did you have any on-field uh, run-ins with him? And I don't mean like you were in a fight or something. I just mean in terms yeah. of ability to get by him or whatever. Uh, you know, not, not, not a ton. I would go up against the, the guards quite a bit, certainly in camp. He played more tackle, I think during, during camp. So, so, uh, yeah, very, very minimal, I would say, as far as, uh, he wasn't, uh, at least at the time he's a rookie, wasn't real physical. I didn't think he was real physical. I just think he had really good, uh, footwork and, uh, he, uh, he was one of those with just just good technique, good footwork, and just a just a really big guy. So his positioning and everything, and and uh, and he was smart. You could tell he was smart and knew where to be. And uh, so it was, uh, yeah, it was a situation where, yeah, he was, you know, he was he had a good rookie year, and you you knew he was going to be a solid staple Hall of Famer. Too early to tell on that, but you knew he was going to be a solid uh, player for years to come. All right. So let's move on then to Ray Lewis. And of course, probably had a closer relationship with Ray Lewis because you shared a linebacker's room with him. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. They drafted him as a middle linebacker myself. Uh, yeah. I didn't know if he would play middle or outside. And uh, once camp started, they said he was going to play middle, which obviously for me as a middle linebacker, I had been backing up 
Mike Johnson and then Pepper Johnson in Cleveland for a few years. And uh, once right before camp, they announced they were releasing Pepper Johnson. I was like, oh, good. Well, then I, my first call was to one of the trainers down there. I said, hey, how's you know the rookie camp going? Where do they have Lewis playing? They said, uh, middle. I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> and it, at the time, I, I mean, how do you know the guy's going to be in a Hall of Famer? I didn't know anything about him, you know, college, whatever. And, you know, he was kind of undersized when he came in. And it uh, didn't strike me as a phenomenal athlete. Um, smaller, quick, but not blazing speed, at, at least from what I watched. But he had just great uh, awareness, athleticism, and uh, emotion. He was just uh, very confident and, and very emotional. And he just, he was a football player. Um, from my standpoint, I was upset I wasn't starting. I'm like, mm, you know, you could justify at that point in time, me being five years in, 240 pounds, bigger, stronger. I, you could justify, you know what, right now, you first half of the year, I would have probably been, you probably justify. Nobody was going to say, well, why aren't you starting Lewis? You're starting to, it would have been justified if I had started for, for that year. And nobody, I don't think anybody, you know, give this kid a year to develop, but Knowing the NFL, that's not how it works. You draft a guy number one, a defense, a linebacker, you put him on the field. He's he's your future. A fifth-year guy is not your future who's been playing special teams. So, it's one of those things. And as time's gone on here, I uh, I, uh, I joke about it. I say, yeah, I go, well, Lewis came in. I got I got kind of kind of the shaft here for a year. I should <laughs> start in front. Nobody really pays much. Yeah, uh, pays me much respect in that. Uh, a side note from that, I played uh, literally or uh, uh, high school baseball. I was a uh, shortstop. We teamed up with Jim Tomies, who played with the Indians <laughs> Hall of Famer there. Yeah, sure. We teamed up. I went to Richwoods. He went to Limestone. In the summer, we, we teamed up. The first year, we we went off and uh, uh, I played shortstop. He played shortstop. So we combined the teams. He wasn't at the first practice, and the coach came over and said, hey, we got a shortstop. You're going to probably play outfield. I'm like, well, just because it's your field, you're going to put this guy in at shortstop over me? <laughs> eh, it was a Hall of Famer. So I, have a, I had a tendency to play behind Hall of Famers. So. <laughs> that's a, that's a um, good deal. I, I, I yeah. just want to talk about Ray for a second in his rookie year because a lot of people don't realize he wasn't the defensive signal caller at that point. He got that role at the beginning of 97, but Eric Turner called the defensive signals, and in fact, Ray Lewis was really a two-down inside linebacker for a lot of 1996, and uh, he. We've talked about this before, but but uh, uh, Marvin Lewis loved the dime and quarter packages, and Benny Thompson would come in. It was a special teams ace would come in and replace Ray Lewis on third down. Yeah, um, and that's uh, certainly at the time that was pretty typical. Uh, it was kind of a period where we were the the league was transitioning where you had the big middle linebacker who would play for two downs and then he would be subbed in, you know, safety would come in with the nickel package. So I think it was a way of getting uh, Ray, I think he was only like 20 years old at the time. So it was a way to get him in and he, he, uh, as a rookie, you know, great confidence, did a great job just to step in. I think it was just a matter of, you know, we'll get him in there a few downs and get him confident and, but Benny had been around like 10 years. So I think it was just a, a situation where, and Benny was a strong, you know, physical, you know, guy. He was a big special teams guy, but physical, strong, hit like a linebacker. So I don't think they missed anything by uh, pulling the linebacker out and putting Benny in. 
Um, but that, yeah, that, so it's, it, it was not unusual at the time to where the middle linebacker oftentimes would come out, uh, and they would put somebody with a little more coverage ability in. In my opinion, they had it right more then than they do now. Now there's this pursuit of these unicorn three down linebackers. I'm a big fan of platooning at the position. Yeah, I, I think you yeah, get more. There's no, yeah, I don't know why they do that. And I, I think the problem is, is they want that middle linebacker to be, you know, he's our signal caller. He's got to mm-hmm. be on the field, you know, which a lot of times there's, there is a mismatch there mm-hmm. um, because you really want a big run stuff, you know, stopper in the NFL. If they can run, they're going to run the ball. And, yeah. So I, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, everybody's so fast anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, don't disagree with you there. If you can get a big, big, strong linebacker in there in the first two downs and, you know, bring him out, put a safety in. I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's an advantage for sure. All right. Well, certainly something Lewis, Lewis gravitated to later. We'll get back to some of that. Um, Tony Banks was in her, his rookie season with the Rams. He had a big fumbling problem. And I, I think Ravens fans probably remember some of that. Now, maybe they remember it less after Lamar Jackson had a big fumbling problem his rookie year that he really got over. Tony Banks, his entire career was pretty much a fumble waiting to happen. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about this, he fumbled three times in this game, including a very key one towards the end, is how much of that was a point of emphasis in the week coming up to a game like that against a quarterback who didn't hold the ball well? Um, you know, nah, it was, we always worked a little bit on stripping. Truthfully, stripping the ball during my era, it was not nearly uh, as common as now. Now every, everybody goes for the ball and you're tackling the ball, you're ripping it out. During that period, it didn't seem like guys went for the ball. The emphasis wasn't as much on stripping as it is now. Now it's so, a huge part of the game, which at the time, I rarely went for strip. You, you, yeah, if the ball's there, you'd try. But you, the emphasis was, and we hardly ever worked on stripping the ball uh, during my career at any, at any level. Um, so form tackling over stripping. Form tackle, absolutely, you know. Put your put your face mask right on their chest and drop. You know, it's, I don't even know how I would teach tackling. Somebody a couple of years ago wanted me to come out and teach tackling to their JFL team. I had to look it up. <laughs> I'm like, because my 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 instruction would be put your face mask right on their chest or helmet to helmet and just you know just explode. <laughs> Slide the head, contact with the head, face face mask slide your head to the side after contact and, and drive back. Whereas now, I mean, they're the heads behind you're hitting them with the shoulder. seems like you'd get hurt doing that, but yeah, it, it's all changed <laughs> for all right. the better. In some cases, you know, I think they're, they're smart with what they're doing, but uh, it, it's different. <laughs> Hopefully that uh, that's working out, but both teams two and five heading into this game. So the Ravens had, had blown leads the previous week. That was kind of one of the things that, that dogged the 1996 Ravens was they had to lead a lot in the second half or at halftime and were unable to hold it. Indianapolis and Denver were, were identical cases where they had, they had uh, lost a lead in the second half. Did, did you guys kind of feel that as the season went on or was that something that. Uh, it was kind of an odd year overall, just getting our, getting used to Baltimore. You know, we didn't have a name until springtime and just, it seemed like that year the team just didn't gel completely. Uh, you know, our two big draft picks were, 
uh, Ogden and Lewis. Lewis was on the field a lot. He was kind of a natural leader, but you're not going to be led by a rookie. I mean, regardless. Okay. Um, uh, uh, so it, it's, yeah, it's hard. If you're a veteran, you're not going to be led by a rookie. And so who's your, who's your leader on defense? Eric Turner, Eric Turner, truthfully, eh, did he want to be in Baltimore? Uh, he had a, a guy's had so much, there were some guys who had been in Cleveland a long time. I just think had a tough time embracing that season. It, it was just kind of odd, you know, loved Baltimore though. As I was there throughout the year, <laughs> it was hard not to just, uh, I could have played there forever and would have, uh, but it, you know, you're, you're coming from a great place into another great place. You don't realize how great the new place is until it's about over, you know, it's uh, so it, it's like the team never it, 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 new coaching staff, you know, getting new used to, you know, a new facility, new, you know, and it's different if one player gets used to the new facility or a new team, everybody got used to, you know, was, 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 was coming into it fresh. So um, it, I guess it was just an odd time, an odd season. And it, it just, just took a long time to kind of to kind of gel and I don't know that we ever fully did um so I think that was part of the problem uh, where did you live hard. during your uh, year I lived, yeah I lived in Owings Mills uh an apartment up there uh right okay. by the facility um yeah right over, over the overpass whatever and uh yeah I lived over there with a couple other friends lived in the same facility that I did um okay. is the so, is yeah. the old facility the castle had not yet been built no, that's right. Yeah, we were in the old, yeah, old facility. Yeah. All right. Very good. So that's as the old Colts facility. It was okay. It was built, I think, in around 1980, but it wasn't really anything special like the, like the castle. Yeah. That's really something. Oh yeah. Well, coming from Cleveland, it was because Cleveland was brand new, huge indoor uh, facility, racquetball courts, gym. Uh, that's old now, but it's. I mean, at the time, it was state of the art. So it, it was. Yeah, going into the. Uh, Baltimore uh, facility was was yeah pretty uh, back to the stone ages although I went to Atlanta after that and that was about the same so Cleveland had it really nice at the time all right I wanted to talk a little bit about the, what the Ravens had to go through defensively during 1996 because it's important for this game now the Ravens during the entire Marvin Lewis era were a 4-3 defense so what you remember from the 2000 Ravens is what they were in 1996 or tried to be but in 1996, in the second half, or really about midseason, they were forced into the 3-4 by emergency. And mm -hmm. it did, lost a lot of defensive linemen. And Ed, I was hoping you could speak to this, and not only how that change affected the, the defensive line, which I'm sure you could see, but how it affected the linebackers in terms of change responsibilities. All right. Uh, yeah, we had some injuries defensively. And uh, went to the really, we thought when Lewis came in, I had heard he was hired. I was pretty excited. I was like, oh, great. Three, you know, three, four. That plays right to what I what I play. Well, he came in and he ran a four, three, which I didn't really get that um, because he came in from Pittsburgh and they were they were three, four and had huge success. Um, so I, I, did, I, I was surprised by the four, three, but that, you know, uh, Lewis was a linebackers coach. He wasn't the coordinator. So he brought, uh, he didn't bring the, uh, the, the three, four zone blitz, uh, in from, from Pittsburgh. He, he, uh, used some of the same principles, but, uh, 
but yeah, it went to the four three. So we switched to three four uh, midway through the year. Had some injuries, so I ended up starting for Lewis. Got a hip pointer, and uh, so he he sat out a few games. So I started, and uh, uh, yeah, really enjoyed it, and um, it, it went pretty well. And I like the three four defense. Obviously, a little bit different. The linebackers aren't covered up as much. Uh, truthfully, when you draft a guy in the first round, smaller guy, four three. It's ideal. It yeah. protects them. Yeah, it protects them. Whereas if you're going to play, uh, you know, a 3-4, LeVon Kirkland's 265 pounds, and, you know, you got some big linebackers. And Pepper Johnson would have been a 3-4. He was with the Giants, so he would have been one they could have kept and, and done the, and ran the 3-4. But uh, uh, I don't know that they necessarily – uh, yeah, they, he obviously wasn't in their future. So, uh, But it, it created yeah. an extra inside linebacker spot where you could right. have had more opportunity yes. from the Yes, field. and that's what I was looking forward to. It would have been, it would have fit me uh, pretty well. But, yeah, he went to the 4-3. So, um, yeah, it, it was fine. I would, and I had played the 4-3 my entire career. So uh, the 3-4 the would have definitely been uh, different for me. But uh, nonetheless, it would have been fine because there's certain – ways you could have run that to be successful but uh he he obviously felt the four three was the way to do it and he obviously liked to play you know get as many defensive backs on the field as he could uh during uh you know after those uh, you know uh after those first two downs so uh but yeah it, i can't really complain i think uh it's not necessarily the you know the philosophy but how you motivate the guys to play it and and uh and it's putting them in the right spots is, is, uh, certainly, certainly helps, but it's the guys who do it, who, uh, you know, guys have to go out and make plays. So, okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the, this game, because it really is a game of attrition in a lot of ways. In, uh, Anthony Pleasant was lost during this game. We've already had to go to a three, four, but Anthony Pleasant was lost during this game. Mike Kroll was lost during this game an outside linebacker. Um, incredibly James Jones, the nose tackle, played 90 snaps in this game and the Ravens have been very rotational defensive line team. And you don't see that. You don't see that anymore. I mean, the Ravens have only had eight total individual seasons of 70% plus snaps since the four, three ended. So since 2001, since 2000, 2002 and and after they've only had eight individual seasons of 70% and for him to play 90 out of 90. um, And that, that that was, uh, that was fairly ridiculous. Um, Do you know, tell it, People, anything you know about James Jones? Because he's a forgotten early star for the Ravens that really deserves to be remembered. Oh, James Jones uh, is the most solid individual you would ever meet. He was he went to Northern Iowa. Um, he is uh, very smart. He basically ran the uh, he, ran, he ran the defensive line. He anybody wanted to know anything or where to go. He basically could line the defense up from his defensive line spot. Uh, very, uh, very kind, uh, person. Uh, you know, he's fantastic, great football player, but an even better person. So he was, he was just a, just a solid individual. And as far as his ability, he's just strong, big, strong, fast. Uh, you, you'd look at him, you'd look at him run. You'd think he was a linebacker. Um, but just he was uh, he was yeah, just a great teammate. So it um, he's one of those guys you can just rely on. The Ravens are trying to get back to some of that quickness now, especially with a couple of their draft picks and who they've signed in the offseason. But he had unbelievable quickness for a big man. and He was used to stunt 
on a higher proportion of snaps than any Ravens player in, in team history. And one of the things about that is that he's not your typical underneath stunt guy. He could do that. He could be the yeah. under guy, but he was the looper plenty too. Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, you know, Marvin Lewis seemed to love to do that a lot. Uh, but that I, I thought that was interesting in, in that game. Guy came off yeah. the bench, Elliot Fortune, had 25% of his career ga- snaps in this game. Yeah. 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 Elliot Fortune was uh, just a big guy, strong. Um, he, uh, yeah, didn't see a lot of time before or after that, from what I understand. I think uh, there were some injuries, but uh, yeah, Fortune was uh, yeah, a solid, solid player. Uh, I don't know, you know, how long he ended up playing or not, but uh, he, he was younger guy, but uh, yeah, solid, solid, solid that- player. That was his year in the league, so uh, it uh, it didn't last. They used him as a little bit of a pass rush specialist, but anyway, it was yeah. it was good that they had someone, a, a guy that they didn't show up in the game until the very end. It was very strange, and I wondered if he might have been doghouse somehow. Was Rick Lyle, because he only Rick got sixteen Lyle. snaps, and he and they had all they played the same guys for twenty three straight snaps. I'll set this up a little bit for you, Ed. Played the same guys for twenty three straight snaps deep into the fourth quarter, and finally, all of a sudden. They say, oh, wait a minute, we have Rick Lyle available. Let's put him in. And he, first of all, he generated a bunch of pressure. And then he went to the Jets the next year and started for four straight years. And I'm like, what yeah. What was wrong? <laughs> I. Yeah, it was interesting. We, yeah, I don't know. It was, okay. <laughs> the, the, no, the interesting, the interesting part of this was, Love Ted Marchabroda, but I think Marvin Lewis's first part of I don't know what meeting it was, maybe the during training camp, right after training camp, came in and said, "No, that's how you did it last year." And it was like almost ripping on that way we did here before. It was like uh, well, two years ago we were the number one defense in the league in Cleveland, and Bill Belichick and Nick Saban were running it. So it it. it for me, I thought, I don't, I, I don't know that this is necessarily rebuilding these because we've we've had some really good coaching here in the past. So um, I don't really know. Uh, like I, I, the only thing I can say is maybe that first year it was just kind of getting to know people, um, okay, and, and just kind of yeah, you know, maybe you know where your trust is and and kind of who you think is you can trust at that particular time who's. You know, injury. The other thing about the NFL, you see a guy play one week to the next, and you don't know what kind of injuries they're carrying into games either. You know, my, there's there's injury. You could play through the year. That year, I played through uh, the day after Christmas, December 26th. I had ankle surgery, so the second half of the year, I was you know I was playing on an ankle where I would. I, uh, midway through, I got this gel shot into it, which, had not, it, which helped out for a few weeks. And then uh, after that, it was just a matter of trying to tape it up. So mm-hmm. NFL football player, football players in general play through injury. And it just, you always wonder, boy, how the heck did they come you know, next year? Boy, they really came on. Well, you don't know the full story. Sometimes guys play through a lot of injuries. So, um, that, that's another, yeah. uh, I, I, I certainly think that could have been it. Injuries came to mind as, as one of the things. In the case of Marvin Lewis and him coming in and wanting to do things differently, obviously people want to put their stamp on it, but I always yeah. look at it like you go to a new dentist and they always hate the work of the previous dentist. No dentist yeah, that's right. in the yeah, history of man has ever it. liked the previous That's right. You can't. You, yeah. <laughs> if you got it. That's right. You can't blame him on that one. Yeah, you can't. He didn't know he was following the 
greatest pro coach and the greatest college coach in the history of football. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Saban and Bill Belichick, but everybody wants, you're right. Everybody wants to put their own stamp on it and they're, you know, they're trying to do what they can to make this year's team productive. So let's, let's talk about your big moment in this game. Cause it came early and this is the reason why we got you for the show that we're loving all these stories about you, you know, you, you being there at the beginning of Ravens history of Baltimore Ravens history. And with no score, the Rams are driving. Uh, on their second possession, they get the ball to the one-yard line. And second and one at that point, Ed Sutter goes in the game. And he is uh, he had just on the previous week with two minutes remaining, stopped Terrell Davis at the, at the one-yard line on fourth and goal. Okay, and that was at Denver. Gave the Ravens a chance, still down four, to come back. They didn't, but, but it, you know, it, it gave the Ravens a chance. But anyway, came in second and goal this time. Lawrence Phillips is running the football. So you got the draft story re-emerging here again. Take us through these next three plays, Eds, because it's, it's one of the really amazing things I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a special teams guy. I mean, it was, I, I get in on short yardage and I'm, I, I want to go forward. So I'm, <laughs> I get in there, I line up like five or five yards back by the, by the time the ball snapped, I'm like four or three and a half. Cause I'm, I'm just looking to go forward and, and create havoc. So I really enjoyed short yardage goal line. Um, it was just fun. Um, it's everything you play football for. So the uh, first one, I believe it may have been an out. The first two seemed like they were outside runs. So mm-hmm. I had angles and I was always good at, I wasn't, you know, straight away. I, I wasn't the fastest, but side to side, that was my game. I could go, I could, I could sniff ball carriers out. So I, I think the first one may have been to the left and I, you know, just shuffled down the line and, and, and he, the hole opened up, boom, went backside, maybe made the play. And the first two, it seemed like that, that was the case. So it just kind of opened up and it was, it was free. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of how that, that worked out on the, uh, the fourth down play. <laughs> Ironic the week before I had uh, stopped, uh, um, uh, Terrell Davis. Terrell Davis, right. And uh, at the time, I came in, and he jumped. So I hit him at the leg, yeah, you know, like right at the thighs. I didn't really duck. I I came in. I wasn't, I wasn't super low, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't high enough at the time. You know, the tendency is to get low to take him on. You know, help. You know, head to head, whatever else. Well, he jumped. So I had to kind of jump at the last second and I, I clipped it, you know, hit my shoulder into his thighs and he flipped over whatever didn't get in. So, uh, you know, that next week I'm thinking, man, I go, you got to get, you got to get up in the air, you know, a little bit. These guys are going to try to jump. So, so they hand it to Lawrence Phillips as I'm going through, Mike, he's going to, he's going to jump. So (laughs) if you, if you see the replay or the picture of it, I actually jump and he really didn't get off the ground yet. So I hit him, boom. And, uh, I was actually standing straight up. Didn't have much leverage. I think it was Eric Turner who hit me from behind and kind of re- <laughs> regained my footing again and was able to drive him back. But my first instinct was to hit him in the air. And, uh, so as he started going up, boom, hit him. And, uh, it was great. I came out my, my, uh, my, my fiance at the time, uh, I was so fired up, came out, everybody was cheering and everything. And, uh, so I, I went over to the sidelines and I took a bow for the crowd. 
<laughs> she goes, hey, she was laughing after the game. She goes, you came over and you bowed. I go, oh, yeah. I go, hey, this doesn't happen that often. You get a goal line stand on a guy like, you know, Lawrence Phelps. So it was really fun. And uh, it was, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a great part of my career. So well-deserved, certainly, the bow, but let's just review this again. So he, he had the stop on fourth and goal at the goal line. That's his previous snap played. The only three snaps he played defensively in this 90-snap game were on second and goal, third and goal, fourth and goal, all from the one-yard line, all three tackles of Lawrence Phillips. So he had four straight defensive snaps where you stopped the ball carrier on the one-yard line. I would have had 70 tackles or 80 tackles <laughs> if I had played the whole thing. It was ironic. That week, I could barely – I practiced. I never – see my, my career, I sat out maybe one practice with a pole hamstring, like college, high school pro. I didn't miss time. I woke up Friday morning, and my neck, I could barely move it. So Saturday didn't go away. Sunday didn't go away. So every every special teams I play, I came out, and uh, um, uh, Mark Smith and Bill Tessendorf, our trainers, would – put this gel down uh, on my neck and just rub it and try to rub it out so I could keep going. But yeah, I could barely move my neck that game. So it just <laughs> had to go in and not necessarily as a middle linebacker who loves contact. You don't really want a sore neck when you're, when you're, <laughs> when you're supposed to go in and wreak havoc. So uh, yeah, it was one of those things, but it didn't slow me down. One, one thing you see from the all the linebackers, some safeties, and, and really a lot of players, period, in these days, not the, not skill position players, but a lot of the defensive players, much higher pads that they used yeah. in those days. It just it's, it looks like you're, you're, you're right. yeah, artificially I high. I don't know how they do it now. I mean, these guys barely wear shoulder pads. I My shoulders would have uh, – and now they're tackling with their shoulders. So I the pads have obviously gotten a lot better because my – my shoulders were, were always bad. I had huge, my pads were too big, but they protected me because I had, my shoulders were just so banged up, but, uh, but we practiced every, you know, we, we, had, we were contact during practice as well. So they were constantly getting beat up during practice. And uh, so, yeah, no, I, they barely wear pads anymore. Yeah. I'd say they're definitely a lot smaller shells. Okay. Yeah. So right, going back to the game here, the Rams went up 13 to nothing. Uh, in this game, the Ravens scored right before the half, and I say about a minute and a half to go uh, on a pass, I believe, to Alexander. And I, I should be, I should know this, but Matt Stover incredibly missed the extra point, and he went 402 out of 403 in Baltimore. Did not miss his last 15 years as the Ravens kicker, but wow. this was the one he missed. And 90 seconds later, well, within 90 seconds. He missed a field goal from 43 yards, and the score was still 13-6 at the half. So Stover, he had another miss later we're going to get to, but uh, had one of the worst days of his entire career in yeah. this thing. So interesting kind of a thing. He's, he's still that around Baltimore. Yeah. Oh, that's good. He's a great guy. I uh, used to give him rides down to the games on uh, from the hotel on uh, when we were in Cleveland. Uh, so I, I got to know Matt very well. Good guy. Yep, that's great. Did you guys stay in a hotel the night before for a home game? Is that the rule, John? Uh, yes, we did. Uh, we did in Cleveland and Baltimore. Yeah, yep. On, yeah, so we'd all go to the hotel. We'd stay there. I think check-in was 9 o'clock, just have a snack, and then we'd go to bed, wake up the next morning, breakfast or whatever, and then head to the stadium. So, yeah, they would, they'd keep an eye on us. I think maybe maybe been in Atlanta. I don't think they had us. No, in Atlanta, when I was there, they didn't have us stay in the hotel the night before the game. But in 
Cleveland and Baltimore we did. I think I would assume most teams still do that. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. I mean, I've seen certain instructions. I know teams, obviously, they do it on the road, but you don't want to be yeah. in a situation where you're trying to herd cats and people are out yeah. late at night. And Yeah, I think it's a good policy. <laughs> I think it's a good policy, even at home games. Yeah, keeping keeping these guys in, in the hotel. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the second half. Uh, didn't start off great. Todd Light ran a interception back to make it 20 to six in the court in third quarter, and then the injury started him out for the Ravens on defense. Uh, but the Ravens no huddle offense in 1996, and we want to talk a little bit about this. Roared back with a 25 to three run. It's uh, three touchdowns and a field goal, uh, extra two point conversion in there as well. They didn't consistently call it the no-waddle offense back then. Sometimes they called mm-hmm. it the hurry-up, but Trumpy was calling it the at-the-line-of-scrimmage offense. But it's really what the Patriots <laughs> what the Patriots yeah. run today. It's, yeah. it's, it's a very much a get-to-the-line-of-scrimmage quickly in a basic formation. We'll call the play there, and we'll, pen, we'll, we'll keep the defense from making substitutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Testaverde, uh, Testaverde, just when he was on, he was on. Uh, he was... I mean, just great athleticism, and uh, he just—he, uh, I know, he ran into a few problems with interceptions from time to time. But uh, as far as when he was when he was on his game, uh, nobody was better, certainly at that time. Uh, so, uh, in the middle of a Pro Bowl season here, and uh, un- unbelievably, was replaced in the middle of the next season after uh, after having such a good year. Uh, anyway. Uh, little bit more about the no huddle is that March Broda uh, didn't like to use it all the time, even though the Ravens were fairly well unstoppable in the no huddle. Uh, you know, they, they, well, okay, let me put it differently. There was a lot of variation in their results with a higher average points per drive. So that meant that the defense was going to be on the field for longer because the offense was necessarily with a, you know, throwing the ball around and getting off the field on three downs at times, they were going to be off the field quicker. And I think part of the reason they didn't do it was to remove stress from the defense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. When you're, uh, that's the problem with, uh, I mean, defense wins, defense wins championships. And that's, I think that's why coaches certainly during that time were hesitant to do that. Uh, You know, they wanted to keep the defense fresh. You go out there three and out, your defense is going to, you're going to be under pressure and you're going to, you, you can go out you can make a few stops, but you get tired out real fast. You get those defensive linemen. That's why they're probably modern era, why they're rotating them out. You, mm-hmm. you cannot continually rush a passer and be effective. You gotta, you gotta have fresh legs in there. And, and with, uh, with the hurry up offense and these quick offenses, those defensive defensive players cannot, uh, yeah, especially defensive linemen, they cannot uh, they cannot hang in there and continually do that uh, without a break. So, um, so that, that would that would be one of the reasons I would imagine during that period uh, that yeah they were hesitant to to, to use that. Want to want to focus on another thing that happened a little bit later in this game. So the Rams, the Ravens are up 31-23. The Rams are driving with three minutes to play, approximately just over three minutes to play, actually. And they got the ball down to the one yard line on first and goal. They stuck 21 personnel in the game, a pony backfield in this case, no no fullback but two running backs uh, with with one tight end. 
And Marvin Lewis kept the base defense in against that. It's a reasonable call, but at the one-yard line, it would also have been a reasonable just to go to the jumbo unit and put you on the field there, Ed. Right. I, would have I was thought. A surprised by that, but uh, that that brings another. Yeah, you did. You, you take. You put yourself at a little bit of a disadvantage coverage-wise, so that would have been the reason. You must have felt. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, wanted to protect against the pass a little bit. Well, only only two receivers on the field on first down, and and they did run the ball with Phillips on that down. Phillips got stopped for no gain again. I think that was James Jones did that, and then second and goal came up. And they, they, they pan to the sidelines. One of the interesting things, I love to read coaches' emotions like this. Herb Brooks, who was a coach of the Rams at the time, is obviously just fed up with the either the offensive line or Phillips and their inability to get the ball in on mm-hmm. these short yardage situations. And he put in 11 personnel, which is, of course, now what teams love to run out of, not necessarily in goal yeah. line, but generally. Yeah. yeah. And, and, they, uh, and they put three wide receivers in the field. And so what did Marvin Lewis respond with? He, he didn't respond with the base package or even the nickel. Um, he responded with the quarter. He responded with putting seven defensive backs on the field at the one-yard line. Strangest thing I can ever remember seeing defensively. Yeah, yeah, especially that close to the uh, goal line. Yeah, odd. I do remember, yeah, in the first down, we were ready to go. I was like, okay, here we go. And no, just kept the base package in, which was uh, surprising. It worked. But, yeah, that was uh, – <laughs> I, yeah, I think in the end, players you know players have to make plays uh you certainly you can line them up and put the uh put the you know the personnel you think's gonna uh, gonna work on the field but uh guys have to make plays and uh certainly the offense has to execute but yeah the, the rams kind of a kind of fell apart there so the rams got the ball in with harold green on third down and then they got the two-point conversion after there was a penalty in the end zone, which negated a sack, apparently a game-winning sack, but but uh, but there was a holding call in the end zone on Donnie Brady, and they got another chance. They they converted that by a draw play, so we're tied at 31. Uh, you know, the only thing I I wanted to come back to about Marvin Lewis and formationally what he did in that first season is that. Um, they played three snaps of goal line in this game. They played 56 snaps of base. Now, the Ravens in 2019 played 10.6% base. Base is almost gone in the NFL in terms of the way we know it. it, it teams play nickel against 11 personnel as the more typical alignment. They played zero snaps, zero snaps of nickel in this entire football game, 90 plus mm-hmm. snaps. They, they, so Lewis was one who gravitated towards both ends of the barbell. He liked to play... The base defense, he also liked to play the diamond quarter packages where he had nine snaps with six defensive backs and another 22 with seven defensive backs, which is a season's worth today for a lot of yeah. teams. Uh, so uh, oddball thing. But Lewis, yeah. uh, just, just as, he, as he went on in 2000, the 2000 team played the most diamond quarter that any Ravens team ever has prior to 2019. They played 34.5% diamond quarter and a lot of people remember that as a great starting 11 but the high leverage downs were played a lot by the nickel diamond quarterback who were who were uh, three guys who have largely been forgotten james trap robert bailey and Corey harris but uh, those high leverage guys yeah yeah all right so anyway the the uh, the ravens gave the ball back away on three downs bags fumbled the ball away uh with just uh, right around a minute to go the ravens had a chance to drive into field goal range unfortunately matt stover missed a third 32 yard field goal at the end of regulation lots of missed opportunities in this game and i don't know how that how that sets you're on the sideline you're hoping you know it's going to be going to be decided here how do you respond to a kicker you've been a kicker so maybe it's less of a less of right 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough call. Uh, it's you, yeah, you you just don't know. Bad hole, but you know the wind change. It's just tough. I mean, it's 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 interesting. We put so much pressure and so much emphasis on kicking the ball, extra points. Um, it, it's in it. I mean, once you miss an extra point, it becomes mental. I mean, mm-hmm. as as I when I kicked in high school, it was you know hey, there was. My junior year, I had a great year, and then my senior year, I missed a few here and there, and because my holder was different, so it it, it all varies. Uh, you know, the, what's the footing like? I mean, right. Baltimore was uh, natural grass, so that mm-hmm. that's another variable that, that you got. So, um, yeah, it's it's tough, and uh, yeah, there's a ton of pressure on kickers, so it's they uh, take the good with the bad, I guess. But yeah, I, uh, I yeah felt bad for uh, Matt at the time. All right. So an overtime came, uh, more missed opportunities. The, 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 the Rams drove the ball down the field. Testa Verde, I'm sorry. Uh, they drove the ball down the field for nine minutes, all the way to the Ravens 15. Certainly looked like we were going home at that point. Bad snap on a third down game-winning field goal attempt. And so they always talk about that on TV. You know, yeah. Do it on third down because if it's a bad snap, you get another chance. Well, bad snap, it was actually fumbled by the holder, and Stevon Moore recovered it. So the Ravens... Yeah. At the ball at that point instead of uh instead of it just being another attempt yeah right yeah no it's uh just <laughs> rather be lucky than good at that point yeah it's just uh how does that happen bad snap on an extra point that happens so rare anymore. so so darn rare so yeah. testaverde uh drove them into into rams territory and then he was sacked for 11 yard loss on fourth and five Back into Ravens territory. The Ravens had one more defensive stand in them, though. They stopped Tony Banks on fourth and one to get the ball back with a minute and five left in overtime now. So we're, we're on the verge of a tie game. There hadn't been a tie game in the league for about seven years at this yeah. point. Um, yeah. And it was interesting because Testaverde drove him down the field, passes for 23-7 and 13, got him to the 22-yard line with 20 seconds left. The camera continually is going over to a nervous Matt Stover on the sideline. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, who would just love for this to be ended by a touchdown? Yeah, oh yeah, bring it for it. <laughs> and Testaverde you know, came through with a perfect corner route to uh, to Jackson to win the game with 12 seconds remaining in overtime, and really one of the great early memories from the franchise. Oh yeah, yeah, it was neat. Just great to be a part of. It was a lot of fun. It, you know, the game went in dusk at the time, whatever maybe, but uh, it was yeah, it was uh, one of those where you just. Uh, yeah, you're just hoping, you know, to catch a break, and we did. And uh, Jackson would come up with some big plays, and and uh, Vinny could certainly. He was certainly, uh, yeah, he was, he was uh, no stranger to to the big plays, and uh, certainly when he was on, he was on. So one of the things that is, I wouldn't call it disturbing, but it's a little bit unusual. The media guide, if you look at it today for the Ravens, has a number of information box in it, boxes in it, and a lot of them are since 2000. Some are also since 2008 because they're really talking about the Harbaugh era, but a lot of them are since 2000 because they really only want to talk about the Ravens' truly dominant era of, of record-wise and whatnot. It just it, it is almost lost, the 96 to 99 era. And so much was happening in that era that I think is interesting for fans in terms of the the, the team being put together for, for 2000. It was put together brilliantly in terms of a, a free agent acquisitions. They don't work out a high percentage of the time for NFL teams, but they certainly did for Ozzy during that era, you know, yeah. getting to 2000. So 
how do you feel about that? Is it? I mean, I, I'm. Are you? First of all, are you a Ravens fan at all? You a Bears fan? What would you? I am actually a Browns fan. Okay. I, uh, I've, I've, unfortunately, they've struggled, but uh, I, uh, I like the Ravens. I, yeah, I like to root for them and the Falcons and uh, who I played for. But uh, I will say, uh, I, I, the Ravens are great at, uh, um, at, at keeping the alumni involved, and so are the Browns. So, I, uh, I've, I lost contact with uh, Baltimore, but the new recently I've started to hear from them, and so, uh, you know, as a former player, it's it, it makes you feel good to hear from a team, and so. Over the last year, they've started to send some things and contact and keep us posted as far as, you know, player benefits, things like that. So safe to say I'm slowly becoming a Ravens fan again. <laughs> All right. Now, what have you been back for anything? Have you been back for a game or back to any kind of ceremony or anything? Uh, I have not. I've, you know, most of our trips are to Cleveland, so I, uh, I have not been. I do want to get to a game uh, in Baltimore here within the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, so I, I have not been, I have not been back since, uh, since, uh, 90, 96, actually unfortunate because I loved the area. It was just phenomenal. Um, yeah, the whole Baltimore area had a great experience when I was there. All right. Well, let's talk about a little bit about life after football. So did you get your degree at Northwestern when you were there playing football? Did you go back for it or what no, did you... I, I was four years, four, four years, years done. Uh, yep. Yep. So I went through in four years and um, right after that, yeah, I went to Minnesota and then Cleveland. Okay. And then you, you're now a financial advisor with Morgan Stanley. I hope that's not a problem to, to talk about that. Yeah. Yep. No, I'm a yeah, financial advisor with Morgan Stanley. I've been there uh, about eight, 18, 19 years now. So started, uh, yeah, I've been doing that uh, in Peoria, Illinois. Um, I was started off with uh, Smith Barney and then uh, Morgan Stanley purchased uh, Smith Barney back in back in 2011, 12, that range. And so, yeah, been been working ever since and uh, enjoy what I do now. It's a little safer than my old profession. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, kids, you have five kids last I saw. I do have five kids. Yep. I have uh, twins that were born on September. September 11th, 2001. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. We went into the hospital that night uh, at early that morning around 1 a.m. and 9 a.m. The Twin Towers came down 9 a.m. our time, and, uh, or I guess it was 8 a.m. our time. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was kind of a crazy day. But yeah, we were in the hospital. My wife delivered our uh, our twin daughters. And, yeah, crazy time. And then we have a tw- another daughter who's a sophomore in high school. So the twins are seniors. She's uh, Lily's a sophomore, and then uh, so L. Grace, Lily, and then uh, my son Mac, who is uh, he is in sixth grade, and then Bo, who is in fourth grade. So we we got our hands full here with uh, kids all over the place. <laughs> oh, there you go. Now you're you're you coaching them in some sports as they as they go through. Yeah, everything I can coach, I do pretty much up until they get to high school. So I've coached everything: uh, girls basketball, soccer, baseball, flag football. Right now for the boys, uh, yeah, pretty much everything. Softball, I think I did. Yeah, so pretty much everything I can coach, I'm involved. <laughs> right. It's fun. It, pl- absolute pleasure having you on the show. We appreciate you making all this time for it and and uh, and talking through what I what I'm sure is a good memory for you. But uh, you know we still appreciate it all the time. Absolutely, Ken. I uh, 
thank you for having me. And it's, uh, yeah, it's always fun to relive, uh, relive some of those, uh, neat moments in sports history that, uh, that I was a part of. All right. We'll talk to you next time on film study. Okay. Thank you, Ken. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Break free from the big three. Get unlimited with 5G included for $30 a month when you get four lines on Xfinity Mobile. Prices may vary and are subject to change. Reduce speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.